Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 15, live from Research Ed Cymru 2023. Good afternoon, everybody, and a very warm welcome to this live podcast recording from the Emma and Tom Talk Teaching Podcast. Thank you for coming. We've got an interesting panel of interesting people for you today, and we're going to try and make this fairly snappy because we've got a whole 35 minutes of your company. Just to let you know, the reason we have this is that so you lot can ask stuff at the end. So be ready. We'll, we'll be asking some kind person to run around with this towards the end. So be ready for your questions for our panel. Let's talk to the serving teacher bit of the panel first of all. Who have we got? Gareth, do you want to go first? Sure. Hello, I'm Gareth Rain. I am the head teacher of St Peter's School in Cardiff. Uh, I'm Sam Eaton. I'm assistant head with responsibility for Lynn teaching here at Cardiff High School. Thank you for joining us. And of course, if those of you were able to attend Lucy's session, then perhaps you've heard a little bit. But Lucy, do you want to introduce yourself for those who don't know? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Lucy Crahan. I'm an education consultant specialising in education policy at the system level. Thank you very much. Well, thank you all for joining us. I think what we're keen to do in this panel discussion is to sort of get into the detail of how things are going with Curriculum for Wales implementation, but to sort of frame it based on a really interesting conversation we had with Lucy this time last year, almost a year to the day we recorded a podcast episode with Lucy, where she brought into our consciousness these two risks, these two key risks. Um, There were four actually that you spoke about, but it was these two that you were really concerned about and they were coherence and equity. Um, And they were giving you the greatest cause for concern with regard to Curriculum for Wales. So for those who didn't attend your cluster collaboration for Curriculum Coherence session this morning. It's a isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> I had to practice that a few times. <laughs> um, could you just briefly explain what what are the threats to equity and coherence that you were so worried about this time last year that you discussed with us? Sure. So briefly is, is the challenge. Sorry. Um, so there are a number of education systems around the world that have introduced curricula that are similar, obviously not the same, um, but similar to the Curriculum for Wales framework, and they fall under a a banner of the new curricula turn, um, defined by Priestley and Biesta. And they include, of course, Scotland, and also New Zealand and Australia. So there's things that we can learn from systems that have gone before in terms of um, some high-level curriculum frameworks that leave a lot of flexibility up to schools. The two risks that I'm fearful of, I suppose, for Curriculum for Wales um, is based on what has happened in those places. One of those can lead to some issues in equity where different teachers in different schools interpret standards very differently because they are so high level, um, in some cases so generic, and differently in terms of one person has a more challenging interpretation of that and challenges the students more, has higher expectations for them, and another, and you can guess which kind of schools that this happens in, has lower expectations. And that's not for a second blaming the teachers. I've been a teacher in a challenging context. I understand that there are challenges that mean that you end up having some lower aspirations, but where there's not an entitlement in the curriculum, that can happen. The other is coherence, which is slightly more complicated 
to, to explain, but essentially, if you think of across the, the 3 to 18 continuum, which of course is mentioned and highlighted as being so important in Curriculum for Wales documentation and guidance, it's important that children build on their prior learning. And it's important that they build on their prior learning, not just within a term, but across their curriculum journey from 3 to 18. Um, and if, again, you have lots of ambiguity around what the curriculum framework means, primary schools A, B and C might all be doing brilliant things, but three completely different brilliant things, which means that when those children then feed into a secondary school, there's not a common base of, of knowledge, skills and experiences that secondary teachers can build on, which means that some children miss out on some important learning um, and some children end up repeating stuff that they've already done, neither of which, of course, is ideal. Thank you for letting me put you on the spot to explain That's that. Okay. <laughs> I apologise, but you did that really clearly. And I think with that in mind, what we need to do is sort of turn to our, our school colleagues. And this is why we, we brought you here, because we'd like to know, you know, how are these issues that have emerged for you? Are you navigating those issues? If so, how? What are your, do you share Lucy's concerns around this? So perhaps, Gareth, from a primary perspective, you could tell us how you're navigating those challenges. Yes, they, they are significant concerns. Um, they have been concerns that we've had since the Pioneer programme started of having Pioneer schools in Wales, gosh, around seven years ago now. And then that has continued all the way through to the full implementation last September. <laughs> So there are different groups of schools that have done different things along the journey. So some have been fractured since the start and each primary school within the cluster might be doing their own thing in the way that Lucy just described. And then you'll have others that have tried to work very closely. What we have done within St. Peter's Primary School is we have developed a curriculum within our school within the different AOLEs, but we have tried to work with our cluster schools to develop higher level concepts. And so then we're trying to have commonality of the concepts across our schools, but not necessarily going down into the granular detail in terms of the content and the pedagogy. Mm -hmm. So we're hoping then that the aim is that when our children go up to year seven, they'll at least have reached a, a certain benchmark across those common concepts. And how are you uh, addressing this question? I'm guessing, do most of your pupils go to the same secondary school or do yeah, they Yeah, the, the majority do, yeah. So, so probably about five-sixths go to uh, 50 out of 60, go to the same secondary school, and then um, sm smaller groups then go to other schools. So w within a Catholic school environment, that's quite common. It's not always the case, but that's quite common. I think it's quite similar within the Welsh medium sector, that most of those children were from the primaries, in fact, probably more than in the, the Catholic sector. Whereas uh, that's not necessarily the case outside of those two systems. Yeah. What about you then, Sam? What's going on over here? So re really similar. I mean, I think those are definitely our concerns around equity and coherence. So, you know, James started off this morning talking about that moral imperative and, and what we do, why we do. So absolutely that that closing the gap and making sure that all students have access to really high quality learning experiences is really important and that that's been really fundamental for us as we've been putting together our, our journey with curriculum for wales and i think gareth talked about cluster working that's a real challenge for us as a secondary school and, and i can see secondary colleagues nodding because although we actually do have a, a kind of a core number of uh, schools where students will come to us from we also have a number from across the city we have some from completely the other side of the city for, for all sorts of reasons and and that means that we get a greater I suppose diversity and trying to work with as as closely as as I think we need to work with all of those primary schools is is a real challenge in for a whole variety of reasons which I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of unpack I think within the school itself it's also that real challenge of the way it looks and the decisions we made early on about 
did we start to then restructure into thinking about AOLE groupings and faculties? I know lots of schools did that. Did we want to keep our subject disciplines? What did that mean for us as a school and within our context? And I think what we've spent an awful lot of time doing, and, and I think it's been really meaningful, but, it, but it's been really challenging as well, is what does the curriculum mean? <laughs> what does it look like? And, and for us, it was all about breadth and depth and the appropriate balance there, but value was absolutely one of our fundamental principles going into this and coherence and then trying to work out what those things mean and what those things mean in geography and what those things mean in English and how they're different and where they're so you know absolutely I think echoing the things that Lucy's been talking about and what we you know was identified this morning and we don't have the answers that's the other thing I'm just gonna <laughs> say now we don't for anyone tackles you in the corridor <laughs> yeah. steal your homework I mean I suppose we've got two very engaged schools here you're at research head it's on a Saturday you've come to a research-based conference I guess there's questions still outstanding about the level of professional learning kind of support the the level of kind of information that was available pre the implementation of this curriculum and let's not forget we're kind of half a year into it now and uh, you know you've got we were given things like the what matters statements and all that sort of thing which are all very lovely and everything but they're not things that a reasonable person could kind of disagree with put in opposing positions so we, we weren't given things that you could you could discuss and debate so for those uh, those schools who are looking for that stuff you know and, and the minister himself said about a year ago that there had been a lack of that stuff up to that point where do we go looking for that stuff where did you go looking for that stuff that was going to help you move beyond these sorts of very very happy statements in the curriculum documents to something something a little bit more nailed down either of you <laughs> i'm happy to, to yeah. speak there um there's two main places that I have gone personally as a head teacher within two different schools and then have tried to help the groups of staff in both those schools to go and they are research itself so to go directly to the research so events like this is great where people are talking about the research and then the fantastic support that's available within our consortia so the CSC have provided PL programs like Lucy's and also uh, fantastic networks so the documentation that they have produced always goes back to those key original Welsh Government documents, but then it's interpreted and delivered in such a way that it makes it easy for our teachers to go to the network meetings and then come back and say, right, this is now what we think we should do with this information. And because it's always going back to the source of Curriculum for Wales, we know that we can trust the validity of it and the reliability of it. So I think those are the two main places, the research itself and then the way it's been delivered um, with the CSE. That would be the way for St Peter's and previously St Joseph's. I think your question kind of hints at one of the bigger challenges, doesn't it? That actually it can be quite daunting and quite overwhelming and quite difficult to know where to go and where to begin. And I think that, you know, similar, you know, to Gareth, we, we've been involved with Research Ed for a number of years. I think professional learning sits very much at the heart of what we do in, in our school. We, we think it's incredibly important. We were part of the pioneer you know think back to you know those days we were part of the the journey in that sense and I think that level of information was really helpful to us it gave us I suppose we've always been a school that has looked outside of our own doors and thought about kind of building networks with other schools and we know that's really important and that we have a lot to learn from from other schools so we continue to do that as part of this journey but I I think for some schools and for lots of colleagues, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. I can guarantee that you teachers have all got friends who are teachers. You talk about teaching when you're out in, you know, in the pub and things like that. 
And actually, it's not the same for quite a lot of my friends and colleagues who work in other schools across Wales, but who work in other schools across the city. And certainly something that perhaps wasn't on a lot of our radars as as teachers post um, publication of Curriculum for Wales was that we were going to become curriculum designers, that we were going to be given subsidiarity agency to design curriculum. And when we met up with you, Lucy, a year ago, something that really struck me about what you'd identified and what you'd come to help us and consortia and colleagues to do was to work on the middle tier, that level of detail, which kind of speaks to the processes that Sam and Gareth went through to go from these big high level statements of what matters to what does that look like on a disciplinary level and how will pupils progress in that level so for those who don't know what you've done with consortia and how you worked with those teachers um, and colleagues to work on that middle tier what did you do and, and why did you do it that way so it, the the process that, that we jointly designed with um, Central South EAS and with teachers across the, the whole country was designed to address attention between introducing or, or we can't ever guarantee coherence but but trying to bring about more coherence more chance of having children having a coherent curricular experience on the one hand without losing school level subsidiarity on the other because that's a really important part of curriculum for wales isn't it and it's just a really important part of teaching that that you're able to do things that are appropriate for your your children in in your um, particular area um so it's to, to try and square that circle um and it's based on the distinction between the conceptual and abstract knowledge and understanding and then skills in terms of once you've applied those on the one hand um, and the contexts in which you apply those. So if, just to give a brief example, you might identify that you want children to understand what democracy is and certain key things about democracy at different levels within their education. But you're not going to say, well, you have to just do that through a school vote for a school councillor or you have to do that through studying ancient Greeks. That that would be a, a school level decision so the idea is that um, schools come together the smallest unit that this works at is a cluster so primary feeder schools and the secondary but it can be bigger as well to think about what are the important really important concepts and and associated um, skills and knowledge that they want students to understand and what does that look like how does that develop over time within particular domains and that's I haven't uh, this is the, the right audience to, to know that I haven't made that word up I'm not introducing the terminology for the sake of that I couldn't use the word area because that's been taken by AOLEs um, so but, but different you have to break it down into domains because if you're trying to say right what does progression look like within humanities that's just too big a question it's, it's almost meaningless in terms of children then mapping that out and thinking well how can I link that to my prior understanding of humanities you've got to break it down and um, even smaller than subjects geography still too big so we've broken it down into domains such as geographical inquiry human geography you know did that that kind of decision is a very much up to clusters um, of schools themselves and then it's a case of just mapping that out in what does that look like in progression set one two up to five what's the key vocabulary that we would want students to be familiar with at each stage and hopefully what you end up with, and we've had good feedback um, from the school has been involved, but is a situation where students then are able to essentially build their schema around these concepts over time across those important transitions from primary to secondary school, while at the same time having very rich and very different contextual experiences and understandings based on their individual school's curricula. It's a very interesting report came out recently, but interesting read, quite scary, out of Scotland, who are kind of ahead of us by a number of years on a, a very similar kind of curriculum design, in which a curriculum which was intended to be broad 
ended up being narrow for all kinds of interesting reasons, you know, to do with the fact that they were, they were ending up specialising early, you know, some of the weaker subjects were kind of dying off and that sort of thing. And I'm thinking over here in secondary, we can't get away from the fact we've got a bit of a recruitment crisis on in certain specialisms. And the flexibility of the curriculum allows us to solve that problem by just letting those subjects kind of disappear out by the back door, whereas previously we couldn't have done that. We've seen some literature which suggests in primary, you know, there is a certain amount of fear around teaching some subjects, my own subject music being an example, you know, people don't like doing it for all sorts of reasons. As serving teachers yourselves in schools at the moment, Sam and Gareth, I mean, do you recognise that risk, that risk of a narrowing from such freedom? And, And if so, how do we avoid that? I mean... As a secondary teacher, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think there is a danger, isn't there? There's, there? There are always unintended consequences. And I think one of the unintended consequences that we need to really guard against is that narrowing, is that, for example, that the expressive arts suddenly you're never going to address music again because actually you've got an expert who can do dance and drama but actually then these children are going to miss out on a wealth of experience and opportunity which is life-changing and there's a real tension for school leaders, you know, and I and I think we need to make sure that doesn't happen. And, and I think it's really important that it doesn't happen, but I inevitably worry that it will. And and I'm thinking, you know, it, it depends on your school context, doesn't it? DT's massive here. If you've walked down this corridor, you know, we get hundreds of students who absolutely love design technology, but in other schools, I know that's not the case and it's dying out and actually you can't find someone to come in and teach it. What are we going to do about science? Can we find any physicists? Are there any in the room? You know, it, it, there are all sorts of kind of other things that are happening within the educational landscape, which... I think could have a huge impact on the decisions people make about the curriculum for Wales and what they do within their schools, which is worrying. I think to talk about secondary, first of all, because we still don't really know what qualifications will look like and then how accountability will be structured, although there's more information coming recently. From my understanding of what's happened in Scotland is the accountability and the qualifications has then led the curriculum so that narrowing, which started earlier and the intention was that it would be later, has happened much earlier. And so because we still don't have a a level of detail in those qualifications accountability, we don't know, but it's probably still early enough to try to solve that problem before it becomes a problem. So Mm -hmm. I know there's unintended consequences and we're not sure exactly what will happen, but we need to kind of do that now. And I don't have the expertise to be able to say what to do, Mm -hmm. but it needs to happen now. Within the primary sector, I I don't think that there will be a huge amount of narrowing because there's a a lack of accountability, if anything, at the end of what used to be phases or stages uh, and and now progression steps or or whatever you want to call them. But I think that the biggest uh, challenge for us might be lack of prescription. So instead of saying, oh, we're we're looking at bees this term, let's do a dance related to bees, we need to say, well, what in the dance are we focusing on? So what elements of dance are we focusing on? Not just let's do a dance that involves bees. And so I would want to see a much greater level of prescription within the different disciplines and AOLEs themselves. And, and I would personally like that to come centrally. I think it would be an ideal place where we had national understanding of those things, a greater level than we have in the progression steps and what matter statements, and then kind of local and then school level. I don't think we have that yet. And I think the real danger might be that we start to get that through private companies and published curriculums in the next couple of years, because somebody will do that for us and people will just say, great, it's there, let's have that. And I think that really seems to be speaking to the concerns that you were trying to address through the work that you did. And what I'm curious and also concerned about is that we're at the implementation phase now. 
Um, I know that secondary schools have been given a little bit of, of extra time if they choose it to start a little bit later, but primaries are, are starting. And I'm curious to know how long it took to go through that process of coming to that sort of middle tier detail when you worked on your project. And then a really sort of real discussion and answer to how did you, did you create similar capacity when you were doing this in, in, in your school context? Do we have enough time to do the difficult thinking? And I would imagine a really complex job that you were doing. What are your thoughts on that? It takes a long time. It does. It, and it takes longer than you think it's going to take. Because fundamentally, what you're doing is trying to map out what progression looks like in individual subjects and think about what children need to understand um, at conceptual levels. So it's big and you have to take that time to do it well. Well, I've kind of been involved in doing it twice now because the idea is not to produce, you know, this is a process, not a product. It's not to produce one progression map that everyone in the country would use. That's, that's not the point. The point is the process. But I've been involved in, in um, the kind of exemplar materials that we created with Central South and EAS. And then again now, Swansea and Pembrokeshire have actually teamed up to create one, which is obviously going to be optional for, for clusters within those areas to use or not. But it came about because we started off you know, working with, with schools across Swansea and clusters were working individually and they're each working on individual planning of progression within various different domains. And they suddenly they were saying, well, why are we all doing this, this huge workload on our separate tables when actually we're all thinking about what does progression look like in, within number? Um, or we're all thinking about what does progression look like within key elements within music. That's something that actually we need specialist input on for a start. We need primaries representation, we need secondary representation, but it doesn't have to have representation. Well, it has to have representation from, from every cluster, but it doesn't have to be different for every cluster. So they actually then joined forces and that was much more time efficient because we were able to just you know think about that those important questions once for the two counties. Mm. And, I, and I wonder, you know, just given the concerns that you articulated there, Gareth, really well, that I'm really worried about, about subject dilution when you're combining subjects and the time it takes to do that well, the time it's taken for clusters to work. Could you have done with more time? Um, it depends because the pioneer process was extended for, for good reason. Uh, what didn't happen and what we were calling for along the way was for expertise to be developed in curriculum development itself. So I um, don't think probably many of us would say we had a huge amount of curriculum development expertise 10 years ago. Hopefully we've developed some of that along the way, but I would say there's still not a huge amount of curriculum development expertise across Wales. So certainly it's in a much better place than it was. I think that if we could have used the time better, it would have been alongside writing the documents for Pioneer Schools, would have been to pro provide a training programme in curriculum development and then to have tried to implement that before the publication of the documents. Obviously, that's gone now, but I still think there's a need for that. And I know that Central South Consortia certainly have tried to do that and EAS and, and other authorities, but I still think that more work is needed there. But to come back to Lucy's point, I think it's fascinating that local authorities are now working together to try to develop that kind of specificity. Um, forgive me for relaying an anecdote, but going all the way back to um, 2016, I think, I, I contacted a head teacher in Scotland where I knew that their school was quite well respected and said, what are the problems with curriculum for excellence? What's going wrong? And she said, well, in, in the first review, we've realised that there is a lack of knowledge and expertise. And now what's happening is LEAs are stepping in and they are now providing that level of specificity that was missing at the start. Mm -hmm. We knew that in 2016 and now it's 2023 and we still don't have it. 
And if I may just jump in with that, this process is now being used in Glasgow as well because they listened to your podcast, actually. <laughs> they listened to your podcast and they were like, hey, that's a, that's a solution to a problem that we have because curriculum for excellence is a similar level of generality to curriculum for Wales. So, but they're 12 years on. Mm. So it's good, isn't it, that we're not waiting for 12 years. <laughs> sort of struck by the fact that... Uh, We've sort of waited until the curriculum's in to start dealing with the fact that there's a massive load of detail missing from it. You know, I sort of feel like we've all been passengers on the back of a plane pointing out the bits of it are missing while the pilot's kind of telling us that flying is an enriching and wonderful experience that will make us, you know, far more knowledgeable about the world and its people and all that kind of thing. And people are going, yes, but there's bits missing from the plane. I, I was... <laughs> I was struck uh, earlier on that you, you were making the point that, that very, very good teaching has a very disproportionate effect on the less advantaged pupils. And we're just thinking about the equity side of this now. Now we're all getting very excited about curriculum middle tiers and things. Are we about to miss another boat? <laughs> and, and, and what's the next step in terms of making sure that what, what we then decide in terms of concepts and, and context and things like that is then taught effectively? Mm-hmm. You're looking at me, I'm so I assume I'm sorry. That question. That's okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a, you know, it, clearly curriculum is not enough by itself. Even if you have a fantastic curriculum, it's not gonna, the, the kids aren't gonna learn it. <laughs> but I think honestly, it's 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 this. It's it's teachers being involved in reading research, discussing research, sharing research, sharing their own what they're doing in their classrooms, how they're actually interpreting that into real life practice and using that to design their school level curricula. Because there's obviously still, even if you have a progression map, there's a huge amount of, of school level curriculum design that is needed so that you're building coherence into your school level curriculum. And then, sorry, I'm going back to curriculum again, aren't I? But, but then, yeah, that, that you're teaching it in a research-informed way. Not research-led, but research-informed. I mean, I feel like I just want to jump in. I mean, because I, when I look at the the kind of the curriculum sort of mapping and, and that, it, you can start, you're still, you know, we're all about these unintended consequences. What I start to worry then is that people are going to look at that and go, okay, so that's everything I need to be able to deliver the curriculum. That is the curriculum. But actually, the curriculum comes to life in the classroom through really highly effective pedagogy, through making sure that that sequencing is appropriate and that you're checking that understanding and that you know pupils have learned it. And, and it's, you know, I, I think we we forget pedagogy and practice in the classroom at our peril because actually where I think the curriculum is probably working at its most effective possibly is in those organisations and those cultures where pedagogy has always been paramount. So that's a kind of, you know, somebody who's in charge of learning and teaching, I feel like that's my, you know, definite focus. It's a double helix, so it has to be. It's curriculum and pedagogy. You know, it has to come together in that way. And somewhere in all of that, it's very subject-specific pedagogies yeah. that are distinctive to subject disciplines. I mean, I would say as a school, we've always focused very heavily on pedagogy and practice. But one of the things that we've been looking at over the last couple of years is how do we develop domain-specific professional learning so actually we can. And, and I really resonated from listening to Lucy on your podcast where you were talking about, you know, how do you bring together those kind of groups of geographers? How do you bring together historians to talk about what this looks like? What is the most effective practice and I think that's definitely something that I think in Wales and research has is, is definitely looking to kind of challenge that but that's something that is missing I think and, and something we definitely need to look at how we can develop and how we as schools can lead that and share that experience with one another because actually there's just so much good stuff happening across Wales. Thank you all. The nice uh, thing about this format is that um, we can be a bit more discursive with our audience. 
you know, even if it's just an observation, not necessarily a question, or by all means, if you do have questions um, for, for the panel, then now is your opportunity. We've got a range of colleagues in the room. I know we've got some NQTs in the room. I know because they were on our programmes very recently. So keen to hear from a range of different people. So My Tom's wire is very ready. long. So. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Kath. <laughs> Hi Tom and, and all. Um, just wondering, in terms of equity and excellence being a cornerstone, you know, a key component of, of Welsh Government's national mission and, and, and it's a, a key feature of this podcast, do you think that we've got enough of, of a focus as a nation on equity and excellence um, and of course then equity and coherence? Um, are we talking about that enough um, across all the very many platforms, whether it's you know national level or regional, local, or school level networks? I'm happy to start. Sure. That's okay. Uh, a huge amount of money has been spent by the Welsh government over the last eight or ten years on PDG, and if you look at how it's been spent, it hasn't always been spent wisely, and so it's gone into projects or um, lots of different places, sometimes to do with things like facilities, TV screens, rolling news on the wall and so on, instead of actually going into what makes better teaching and, and therefore what helps children to learn in a better way. So the most important, I believe, way that we can help with equity and therefore excellence as well is to make sure that our first level of teaching is excellent. So it starts off with the teacher themselves doing the best things that they can possibly do within the different subject areas before we even look at any kind of enhancement and so on. And therefore, PL is absolutely key to this. I probably should apologise to some colleagues. I was head teacher in their school 10 years ago where some of the PL maybe wasn't as good as it could have been. And then over time, you develop expertise in how to run some good professional learning within your school. So it has to start there. It has to start with the class teacher themselves, with teaching the curriculum in the best possible way. And then we try to look at, okay, and now for those that need the extra support beyond that, what next? And then what next? And kind of it's like a, a three-level pyramid of, of where we get to. But the key to that is the first level of teaching. And there's still possibly not enough across Wales, or probably in fact, not enough across Wales that is informed by the best possible evidence of what makes excellent teaching to start with. And if I can just add to that, we are entering as school leaders perhaps the most horrific couple of years in terms of budgetary funding. So it is part of the national mission. It's absolutely what Jeremy Miles is saying we should do. Then you need to fund schools properly to be able to do it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm unashamedly political statement there. We can't do it if we're having to reduce staff PPA. We can't do it if we're having to let staff go. You can't do it if you cram up teachers' timetables so they are so exhausted that they can't be thinking about professional learning on a Saturday. And well done, well done to all you guys for coming out here and, and doing this. But we need to put the money behind it. Hello. Um, in, in terms of coherence in skills development in subject-specific disciplines, as a new entry to the profession, I've noticed that quite a lot of my key stage free pupils don't have the key development of skills to, to progress into key stage three uh, of art and design, but others do. And I, I wonder how do we how do we ensure that all pupils are entering key stage three with the basic skills for art and design? Um, so, so that's partly what the, the process that we kind of co-designed is, is all about, is that within either a school cluster or a group of school clusters, depending on the size at which the leaders within that area want to work, is that you get 
teachers such as yourself together with primary teachers to talk about exactly that and say right well what what is it that it's it's not it's not a top down it's not a secondary telling primary but it's a sharing of ideas it's a primary saying well this is what we do sharing with each other this is what we do in the area of whichever the the specific subject specific art skills you're, you're speaking of and you saying well actually you know this was this is what would be really helpful for us and here's a way because you're a subject specialist which of course primary teachers cannot be subject specialists in every subject that they teach that you there's also a bit of pd itself involved just in in that conversation and those I've seen so many of those conversations happen now and they're they're beautiful to watch because you just it's just incredible all of the, the the knowledge going backwards and forwards between primary and secondary colleagues to come up with those decisions and if that's agreed upon and the primary teachers know right this this is what we are aiming for within um progression step three or this is what progression step three would look like and we'll try and get most of or all of our students there by the end of primary school then they're more able to actually consciously and deliberately teach it whereas if you don't have that conversation different people will do different things and you'll have exactly the situation that you describe and if I may I suppose from an initial teacher education perspective particularly with primary practitioners who are in teacher education programs I think we need to put more emphasis on the ability to specialize in subject and the the opportunities to specialise in subject in the primary phase. I get two hours with the primary student teachers on our programmes to give them an introduction to drama education. And you can imagine what I'm able to do in those two hours is not a lot. So I think we also need to build capacity within initial teacher education to make sure that if students on the primary phase want to specialise, there's opportunity to work with experts to do that. I think we had a, one more Did question. One more. Got time for can one I more? just come on just, yeah. just a little bit on that as well? Go for it. So art, art specific. Uh, for so long within the primary setting we would say oh St David's is coming up we need to draw daffodils we need to draw dragon or, or whatever it might be and then oh let's make sure we got something to do with watercolours but the teachers didn't have the knowledge and expertise to be able to teach drawing so instead we tried to say okay let's teach children how to draw an eye a hand a face and then eventually they'll be better at drawing portraits and so on but to be able to teach drawing itself is essential and so that can come through subject specialism and that's brilliant and if not it has to come through really good materials that tells the non-specialist how to teach that well and so to have those things in place is key too. As we're seeing the effects of Covid in in my school particularly we're seeing it vastly different in terms of we're we're quite a um, school with lots of EFSM really quite substantially high Um, but we're seeing the effects of COVID differently in every year group. And we're seeing maybe our sixth formers are struggling more socially. And But my year sevens in my class, I've got a, a little boy reading age six, and a little girl with reading age 16 in one year seven class. And I, I guess just what are your thoughts on, on the new curriculum in terms of the effects of COVID and how we can use it to almost mitigate the effects and, and where it can be used best in those situations where the, the gulf is so massive now for some people. It's a, it's a travesty that the new curriculum didn't focus on the science of reading. It's the biggest mistake in the whole curriculum. It, having children going up to secondary school with reading ages of six is absolutely appalling. It's a national scandal. So the best thing that we could possibly do is know that there's a huge amount of research in there, out there about how to teach reading and use that research to teach reading as, in the best possible way across our system. And I would say from an ITE perspective, again, we need to support our student teachers to give them the skills to teach the cross-curricular skills of, of, of literacy in a, in a meaningful way. That doesn't mean a diminishment to subject as well. It's done in an authentic way to help them be teachers of literacy in their own contexts and know how to navigate that, that chasm 
um, between those those different learners. And I think that is the point that we have to wrap this up, unfortunately, as we're out of time. But uh, a huge thanks to our panel, Gareth, Sam, Lucy. Huge thanks to the audience for coming and for our questions as well. And uh, we will be back with our normal service in two weeks' time. Thank you. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Thanks to our panel of guests, Lucy Crahan, Sam Eaton and Gareth Rain, to Research Ed Cymru and James Wise for the invitation, and to our audience for the warm welcome. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at TalkTeachingPod if you want to come and tell us what you think. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.